In episode 10, I talked to Alex Steed for the second time. In this conversation, we talk about dating and finding love in the era of dating apps, why he sees a therapist every two weeks, and why open, transparent communication might just be the secret ingredient in successful long-term relationships. I don't have any issue with the way people do what they do or, or do things in the way they think they need to. Like, I, I've right. done with that. So, like, so people who... People who, you know, do find online dating fruitful, and, and there have been occasions where it's been good for me, for sure, but, like, I have no I have no problem with that. I have no problem with, with what people do. What, what I'm concerned, at least on my, about on my own behalf and concerned mm-hmm. as, like, a larger trend is right. the amount of time that we collectively have to pause between pursuits. Right. And that, that right. pursuit being, like, you know, that all of that pursuit being – to like run away from ourselves mm-hmm. is is increasingly mm-hmm. or or is decreasing, right? It's like the amount the you know the you can essentially sort of exist in like like a a, a mindless oasis and go and go to prefer, to pursue like one need to another to another on the internet um, um, with with very few or very little barriers in between. And one of the problems that we have. You know, I think as individuals, and then and then collectively, and I'd I'd argue is a large reason why we're in this this present chaotic moment that we're in right now, is there is virtually no, virtually no one is taking time to pause and no, reflect sure. and to like and to to think and to go, you know, am I doing this thing, um, because it's good for me, or am I doing this thing because it's there? And you mm-hmm. know, I, I asked someone who I'm close with recently. Um, you know, they were sort of describing a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, big events in their lives. And, and I said, you know, I said this thing that I ask myself pretty often, which is like, you know, are you, are you running away from something or are you running to something? Mm-hmm. And, right. and, and I sort of use that to, to gauge, you know, like what is necessary and what is unnecessary chaos in my life. And okay. I think that like, I think that the structures that, are being presented as convenience, which aren't, which really aren't for convenience. I mean, they're for data collection at the end of the day. Totally. Um, are are erasing that sort of very important and cherished time that that we've sort of formed, you know, all like worldviews and religions around, and 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 you know, approaches to therapy and whatever around embracing those those moments of pause. We're we're mm-hmm. we're we're clear cutting moments of pause. So true, yeah. And and before it used to be just by virtue of the way our world was set up, and now now it, it requires more of a conscious effort to find those moments of pause. You know, you yeah, have absolutely. to put your phone in the other room, or you have to disconnect. You have to go on a meditation retreat to find that. Um, and so the way the world is designed now, it's set up for just constant distraction and constant communication, and. Um, which leads to this next question, which is, you know, in a world with so much connectivity, it's in some ways it's easier than ever to actually be alone. Um, it's like we, we have to try to even harder to find that sense of closeness and intimacy in a sense, right? I mean, even though we have it by virtue of technology, a, a semblance of connectivity, you know, it, it seems like we're a society that's increasing in loneliness. Um, right where we're using social media 24-7, but yet, and we're addicted to our phones, but yet there's more loneliness than ever, at least it seems to be the case. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's more loneliness than ever, and I think also by by overwhelming people with the illusion of of um of convenience, uh, it, but essentially sort of creating for them endless noise, we also commodify quiet and silence. Mm-hmm. And like right. si- silence and quiet should be the freest, you know, the the, the freest uh, um, you know drugs and opportunities to enlighten us sure. have. Mm-hmm. And and we're creating a situation where it's like you know you know how many I know you've done this I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I write a list of things that I have to do, and that right. theoretically the most convenient thing on that list should be honoring the 20 minutes I need to clear my head and, and motivate and meditate and oh, write a list and, and do right. all that stuff. And that is always, always the last thing that ends up happening. Like I have mm-hmm. to, it's a struggle. It's like a fight to make sure that I do that. Right. And, um, and you know, it's because a lot of our, a lot of our, our time and, and, um, a lot of our time and attention has been has been encroached upon, and it, and it's in those moments of quiet that I think we do things like realize what we actually do need, and realize what we actually do appreciate, and 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 realize you know who we are and and what we need to be connected with, um, and and those you know having those realizations are the things that help you know motivate self-reflection and get us to a point where we go, oh, okay, like I actually need to be around people and not just right. connected with them by way of having arguments on the internet. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that that happens. I think, I think the, the only, you know, and I struggle with all these things every day, all the time, but like, I think the only real tool we, not the only real tool, but one of the only real tools we can have to sort of deal with it is to, to essentially set for ourselves a um um you know some sort of standard or context for how we engage and when you know like mm-hmm. like we have to we have to not just go well it's there i might as well be in it all the time we have to say you know i'll right. i'll i'll engage at this level i'll 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 engage for this long uh, i will you know not let myself get get goaded into having arguments with people mm-hmm. <laughs> I will, i'll not lose myself in like you know like uh free and bountiful pornography i will i will not you know um um you know endlessly flirt with people that i meet on a uh uh dating apps to to the detriment of my own self-development like we yeah. have to sort of you know it's like a sort of it's like a Coming from myself, it's a remarkably conservative idea, but like we have to really hold ourselves accountable because <laughs> no one else is going to do it for well, us. Well, that's no, a really good point. Yeah, it's holding your own self accountable, and and it takes willpower, right, to constantly right. be battling these temptations that are really being—they're not just being presented to us; they're kind of being forced down our throats, you know, all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so back to back to dating for a minute. Um, yeah. I don't know if you read the article. I think a few months ago is the in the the Economist published an article about how the internet has changed dating, um, and it alluded to better algorithms, business models, and data basically that's helping people find partners more than ever. Sure. Um, but do you think that's really true? Do you think that dating apps are really helping us find long term relationships, or is it just just opening up kind of the sense of an ab- seeming abundance of numerous options or potential options, I should say numerous. Sure. I, you know, I, I this is the one place I'd, I'd, I'd be really cautious because I'm sure that sort of understands how, like, how these things are ultimately working, how, how relationships are, are changing for the better or worse. Um, the You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that, 
I'm sure that there is a way to assess this better than, um, you know, my assumptions based on my, you know, crappy <laughs> But what I can, what I can speak to on my, my own, yeah, on my from own your front is people I've met online and I've gotten some, some not, not great experiences and I've had a lot of in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say the, the one constant you know, the the one thing that sticks out beyond all of that is just, like, sort of a sense of, like, anxiety and compounded dread, mm-hmm. which is, like, you mm-hmm. know, just from just from the performance mm-hmm. of, of you know, of flipping through faces and starting right. from a place of saying no aesthetically <laughs> and, then, uh-huh. and then going from there. Um, at, at the same time, um, I do appreciate the brutality of honesty that comes mm-hmm. with that comes with that process, you know, like, um, I, there is, you know, we are attracted to particular things physically and that's Mm -hmm. shaped by, you know, that's, that's shaped by sociology and it's shaped by physiology. Um, and, and then that, that typically if we're in a room is the starting point and then we sort of go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I worry about it further compounding vanity. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also, uh, elements of and levels of of um of uh you know what's it, like self doubt you know because like uh sure. um, I I certainly don't look like I did ten years ago and uh right. you know you, you're con- you're constantly reminded um, of that by way of sort of like looking through other people in one place as they're presented and then and then wondering you know why maybe you're not hearing from as many people as you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a constant yeah. struggle yeah. with uh, you know aging and, and, and questions of like uh, uh, everlasting virility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it it takes all of the anxieties you already have and really just puts them at the floor. It amplifies them. Yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, but like not everyone can, is interested in totally understandably not everyone is interested in it's a major 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 time suck to do it offline that's true you know, it is a, it is an go out in it, the world yeah it's an efficient process in terms of like false abundance that oh there's always yeah. going to be someone better there's going to be someone else so why try in this relationship that's sort of turning out to be a struggle why why force it into a long-term thing if I can just go find something else that, that will be easy or seemingly easy. Um, right. I think to the to the brain, it's probably having an impact bigger than we realize. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it all depends on what one wants. I mean, if, if one doesn't want a long-term relationship, obviously, then it's great for that. Um, and it's probably great for long-term relationships as well. I've certainly met people who I've had long-term relationships with on dating apps, so. Um, yeah, one of one of one of the people I consider, you know, one of the one of the better friends I've made this year. I met through I met through dating on Tinder, and it didn't work mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. One being I started dating someone else, but two being just you know it just didn't it didn't make sense in the moment. But like yeah. she and I are are still are still good friends and uh, cool. are, in, are yeah. in touch daily. Yeah, you know, so that's that's, cool. a, that's a good thing. Yeah, so let's talk about that because that actually brings up a question that I have. Kind of a spontaneous question, because I've certainly made friends from dating apps as well that have turned into, or you know, whether I didn't feel attracted or like the person, whatever the reason may may have been, they've become friends. Not not a ton, but there have been a few people that I maintain friendships with. And you are in a relationship now. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, sure. 
Sure. Uh, I, I guess I don't understand. I guess I don't understand the question. Can you can okay. you um, let me tell me a bit more about it? Okay. So the question is: Assuming you're in a monogamous relationship, how? What are your moral thoughts regarding maintaining friends with the opposite sex that might have a flirty element? Say you dated oh, previously, sure. it didn't work out. But you like them, you enjoy, I mean, or the question, I don't want to assume you enjoy flirting with them, but what, what are your thoughts from your perspective on that? Well, the, situ- the, the, um, the situations that I've been in that have worked out best mm-hmm. are ones where, where communication happens all the time, you know, almost right. like arduously, even if it's, yeah. you know, and, and they say this, they, this is said about, about non-monogamous relationships as much as it's said about monogamous relationships, that, that, you know, the secret to, the secret to non-monogamy in particular is like just communicating endlessly, mm-hmm. like, right. like almost annoyingly. Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. um, and, but, but that, that approach should also apply to monogamous relationships, right? Right. And, and I think that the, the secret, no matter what, or not the secret, but the the approach that's worked for me, no matter what, is regardless of the agreement um, and regardless of how how things work, um, to first of all be very clear with each other about what you mm. are and are not comfortable with yeah. um, on the on the front end, you know, to essentially assess and say, you know, am I able to honor what you are comfortable or not comfortable with, and is is, yeah. is what I have with you you know, worth um, maybe maybe altering what would be my natural behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and to start from and to start from that point and obviously keep rechecking in on that because things change over time. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, I, I've had really great luck and, and experience with, with relationships where communication was front and center. Um, with people who are like, hey, you know what? Like uh, I um, have been, you know, like so in, like my whatever, my ex got in touch and it was it, it was seemingly you know, coming from a place that maybe wasn't, you know, mm. uh, didn't have our our best interests in mind. Mm. Like we should talk about that. Yeah. Or, you know, like this thing with this person who I thought was cool, like sort of took a turn. Um, um, and it, it still could be cool, but like we need to like all talk about it and figure out where we stand. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that is um, – that that's extraordinarily helpful and right. it's necessary. Like I think, sure. I think like what leads what leads to a problem is not having a friendship that's flirty. What leads to a problem is is the is the desire to like not communicate about that. For sure, not be open and transparent. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that 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 openness and that willingness to have those difficult conversations is, is paramount. And there may be an instinct to not if. And not share that with your partner if you're concerned that they may be threatened by the the other relationship or friendship. But no, I agree. I agree. Um, I don't think everyone follows that same approach, but I I totally agree. No, I don't. I, I yeah, and I think usually the place where I see things not working out is when that approach mm-hmm. is not followed. Right, um, for sure. Like uh, I think I think we have, and I understand why. But we collectively have so much shame around everything that we're we're mm-hmm. we're nervous that if we acknowledge to the other person something that happens like that right. that we're we're going to own that rather than right. saying like how how are we checking in on our standards you know mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah that makes sense so now you've been divorced for how long now 
Um, I've been like so I've been like on the books divorced since March, but I've yeah. I've been I've been separated. How have your post-divorce dating experiences shifted your attitude toward dating, dating apps, and relationships? Would you say? Um, you know, I I like I said, I used dating apps um, for a while. It made a lot of sense for you know for where I was at and mm-hmm. um, and. Especially, like, because I spend so much time on the road, it's, like, sort of hard to, like, know sort of who's in an, who's in another area. And, and I just had – I had some, like, good experiences. You know, yeah. Good, some good experiences. Like, none that felt like they had, like, any any longevity, but, but they were good mm-hmm. experiences. Yeah. And, um, and I think I just hit a wall <laughs> of my interest in sort of going through that process, my interest in – and I, I, I might very well return to that place, but, like – I went on so many like first dates that I was like, ugh, like I just can't do another. I can't do another one of these. It is exhausting. Like the the multiple numerous first date experiences where you know almost two minutes in that person's nice, but it's not going to be a thing. Yeah. Right. I'd rather go on like I'm I'm essentially like the lead salesperson for our business. Like I'd rather go on sales meetings than like go (laughs) on another. I mean, have you realized? Yeah. So do you like going on sales? No, it's not even that I like them. I don't even like I don't even like those. It's just yeah. like more tolerable. Like at least I know. At least like at least like it's not like it's, I, God. I, I I'm making it sound terrible. It's just like th- a thing. Like at this, I just would prefer not to do. But that said, um, you know, all the all the dating I did do or have done really made me realize like what I want. So it is mm-hmm. it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the labor goes somewhere. You know, like you are you are. You're learning about yourself, and you're learning about sort of like what who other people are, and especially like after you are are in a longer term relationship, and if you you know it, like dating can help um, you know solidify or confirm the things that you do think that you're into or you're not into based on where where your relationship broke down. Sure. And and so that that was that was absolutely beneficial. But I I will say that the. The things that have had have ultimately held the most promise in one way or another are, are people who I've met or who were already in my life somewhere um, mm. and and had you know an experience that was not antithetical to but an experience that didn't make sense in the context of uh, in the context of dating. Right. Uh, like I am basically the way I'm talking. I'm not in an open relationship, but people who are in open relationships, mm. like I understand, like you know, finding finding like. This is the wrong word to use. I'm sure someone who is in this will get upset about this, but like finding partners that are like slightly more disposable sure, is, is, sure. Yeah. is necessary. You know, maybe there is a necessity right. there around like dating apps and stuff. And, sure. and I get that. There's there's sort of there's like a place. It's you know your non-primary partner. There is a place exactly. for that for sure. There is, totally but like right. yeah, but for 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 me right now, I'm I'm just like not any longer in that place. I'm so exhausted mm. by it. Mm-hmm. It didn't take you long to become exhausted by it. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I started it I think one way it's, or another. I think it's a, yeah, I think that's a testament to. I mean, not that it's bad if it if people you know aren't exhausted by it, but I think it's a testament to kind of your character, in a sense. Well, I I I in a lot of ways, I have um, very tourist. No, tourist. Sorry, very tourist tendencies. Oh, like okay. Slow and deliberate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like super mm-hmm. slow and super deliberate. Mm-hmm. And, 
and it takes me a lot, you know, like, like, like a moderately vain, <laughs> like stubborn. Mm. Um, um, and it takes me, sometimes it takes me a while to get to a thing. Actually, yeah. often it takes me a while to get to a thing, but it, it, I pretty quickly realized that it wasn't working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. You know, in, in that way. Sure. So in our last interview, we talked about tackling codependence at the time. That was kind of an overarching thing. Yeah. With that, that conversation, that, dabbling in casual dating, which was you were in a different place back then, um, not putting pressure on yourself to settle back down. Um, right. How do these sort of ideologies, perspectives sit with you now? Um, well, it's funny. The per- like the person who I actually got along the most with on um, on uh, in like apps mm. and, and still friends with, like our first conversation was about our codependency. Like our yeah. first like and that's that's who I like <laughs> I don't know I don't know if there are like types on 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 Tinder and I'm sure there are, but like I'm like I'm the person who's like right out the gate, like what are you reading and let's talk about it. Or like yeah. you know, like like I am I'm out like whenever I see like people screen grabs of like these like miserable conversations they have with guys where it's like, you know, like it, it just immediately becomes like creepy or strange. Like mm. I'm probably like strange in a in, certainly in another way where I'm like, let's talk about this book and codependency. Where are you at in codependency? I love that. I love that. I mean, <laughs> and it's helpful. Like it gets yeah. right to the cuts right to the chase. But but certainly like with with this person in particular, um, uh, you know, we both acknowledge our codependent tendencies. We both acknowledge sort of where it landed us. And I think that front end acknowledgement helped me know help me be aware of places to be careful about our dating. And I think mm-hmm. that it actually saved us. To tell you the truth, like if we didn't have that conversation, I could have seen us actually dating and ended up in like an unhealthy relationship had we mm-hmm. not actually had that conversation about codependency, which is great. And people I, you know, people I have, I've seen, you know, more than once since we talked, I really you know, have a pretty frank conversation about, like, my relationship with codependency and check in on theirs as well. Mm. And uh, at least, you know, at least two have bought the book Codependent No More and read it and sort of, like, you know, ended up – that book is, that, that book is like, the most viral, um, um, you know, print publication on earth because I've, I've, I've seen right. people, you know, read it, see themselves in it, see their mm-hmm. friends in it, get in touch mm-hmm. with their friends, get in touch with their family. And, uh, and that's been huge. Um, that's been huge for me. And so, so relationships I've been in since have been very focused on going like, okay, like if we're going to build something, like let's figure out like the ways that we need to work on other things for ourselves and know, right. and know and be aware of that individually, but also be aware of that collectively so that we can be there for each other. If we like notice these tendencies mm. and, uh, and it's great. It's that's like, you know, if if my you know if whatever like my 19 year old self could hear me now talking about like what what counts as like a fun and healthy relationship it would it would be very funny but i think you know starting starting from a place of acknowledging our limitations is is yeah is hugely helpful kind of leading with your crazy like what's your crazy oh god mind, yeah right yeah not, i mean yeah god god forbid i seem normal up front um, well, God forbid, but most people don't lead that way. Most people lead with their accomplishments and their sort of CV and all their great traits, right? And it's only three yeah. to four months in where you start to see their shadow side. 
Oh, yeah, yeah totally. And I think stopping that has been a huge, huge, yeah. huge, that's huge, huge for me. And it's made it so that it's increasingly more popular. Not popular, sorry. It's increasingly more doable um, mm. to have – to have these, yeah. So, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fleshing this out as I go, but yeah, no. But I, I, I said this, I said this a handful of times with like, with, with, you know, people, people I've, I've seen for, for more than just like a flash, you know, that, that, uh, the way that we are sort of taught and encouraged to do relationships, the way that's substantiated within like movies and like romantic comedies and you know, in like literature, all over the place is we're encouraged, strongly encouraged, to essentially collectively go into a like a delusionary coma mm. and and to to become almost and I don't use this term lightly, I don't use it in jest, I, I mean it sincerely, to almost become like temporarily mentally ill. Right. And to and to you know and to like bind ourselves based on an artificial energy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, and then, you know, exactly like you said, four months, exactly like you say, four months yeah. later, we, we come out of that coma and we go, Oh, who is this? And, oh, and what am I? And like, what is even happening? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in a lot of things happen when you're in that, when you're in that weird headspace, one is you make a lot of assumptions about about what the other person needs in a relationship, right? Because right. you just assume up front you're high as hell. You just assume that that you only need each other forever, that mm-hmm. it like, you know, whatever. And and so and so like four months in when it comes time to go like, oh I might I might need you know, you're great mm-hmm. and I want to stay with you, but I might need something different than I thought on the front end. You haven't had right. a conversation up front to go, you know, like communication really matters to us and being right. like so many things don't happen in the place that we encourage um, mm. um, that we that we encourage this sort of like delusion. And you know, like mm-hmm. we can really thank queer culture for for mm. in, introducing to sort of modern to, to to modern romantic culture the idea that you have pretty you know if, if you're not just doing something as a one-off thing, you have pretty frank and blunt you know conversations up front. Rather right. than somewhere down the road, um, yeah. um, and I and I think that that's incredibly important, and you know, fem- feminism generally as well. That mm-hmm. that it, it, the that delusion was was long, long heralded and meant to to celebrate the mm-hmm. ego of the man. <laughs> well, it's true, but yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. Although it takes a uh, a lot of self awareness to be able to admit up front your weaknesses. Right. I think it really many people aren't that self-aware to even recognize their weaknesses and their flaws and their shadow sides. And and furthermore, to be able to express that to someone that they're trying so hard to to impress, you know, and so it's it does it does take a a pretty mindful person um, who doesn't have a lot of ego to be able to share that on a first or second date, I think. Right. so do you have any suggestions to people who may be struggling with that? Yeah, be 35 and screw up a lot. Okay. All right. Be 35 <laughs> and divorce. I think yeah, divorce, that, I mean, divorce is humbling. 
No, divorce is super humbling. And I, and I, I had, and, um, no, I mean, I, there's all of the things that led me to the place I am now, I think started years and years ago. I mean, they started yeah. from being like, oh, uh, uh, you know, fortunate, uh, I'm fortunate to be self-aware in, in ways that sort of that, um, you know, came from how I was raised and I'm mm-hmm. fortunate to have had friends who, you know, who helped, you know, who helped show me how to be a different and better person. And, and, yeah. and I, I, I'm fortunate to not have had my adolescence be, well, my adolescence was on the internet in a different way, but I'm fortunate to not right. have like grown up in like, like bullying social media culture. Like there's so many, there's so many places where I had room to grow and breathe that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so lucky about. But For I sure. think like, I think just like, you know, checking your ego is as mm-hmm. much as the cliche Huge. is incredibly important. I think going yeah. to therapy is incredibly Agreed. important. I, yeah, let's you know, I, Yeah. Yeah. All oh there's God. all so, these things there's all these things you have to you have to do to make space for growth. And it goes yes. back to what we were saying earlier is is that's increasingly more difficult. It is. Yeah, it totally is. Given given that there's so much less time and, and there's a conscious kind of effort that needs to be made to make space for that. But Let's talk a little bit about therapy. Um, I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, but I, I think some men are reluctant to, to view its importance, particularly with respect to relationships. Um, have you, or have you experienced therapy? What's your, what's your take on it? I, I started going to therapy when I was, um, uh, 17, I had a nervous oh, wow. breakdown. I, okay. I didn't know what to do with it. And then I, I just went for a year and then didn't go again until when I got divorced. Okay. So I mm-hmm. I went for a year at 17, like which was like reparative more than it was proactive. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I went when I got divorced, not because it was reparative, but because I saw a similar moment coming if I didn't go to therapy. Mm. Wow. Um yeah, so I was like, oh, I should go again. Right. And uh, I was fortunate to go. I, I don't even, like, I, I'd love to meet myself as a teenager. Because, yeah, like, now. I don't know, yeah, I don't know how he figured out that, A, there was therapy, first of all. Yeah. B, that I lived in Cornish, which is 35 miles from Portland. So I, I had to, like, get rides or, or like, drive into Portland mm. in order to, like, go to a therapist. I somehow found a community counseling center where I paid six dollars a session because I had no money. Wow! I, like, you. I, I, but I don't know how it happened. I honestly don't. I had a nervous I mean, breakdown in the yeah. middle of the dorms at U, the University of Southern Maine when I was when I was still in high school. Well, and, I mean, were your were your parents influential in that decision? No. Friends? Like how? Okay. <laughs> totally not. Yeah. No, my parents, I think, got nervous. You know, because they mm-hmm. were like. Um, you're going to realize we screwed you up. I think like they, they yeah. had the, the normal parent take on, on therapy when your kid starts right. going. It's like, how, sure. did, how did we, how did we break you? Yeah. As if and, it's pathological. There's something. Right. Totally. Wrong totally. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. And so, so that was certainly a thing, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I, I honestly, I honestly don't know. I mean, I knew therapy existed because of the Sopranos. Um, okay. I, <laughs> I so that was a thing, or, or it was yeah. like always a joke in sort of popular culture until The Sopranos came along, and then it was not. Right. And um, you know, like like therapy was always like a, a punchline in a Woody Allen movie, like For which sure. is which is ironic considering <laughs> who and what Woody Allen is. Oh, but the okay. it it was never it was never a it wasn't taken seriously at least mm. in pop culture, which is where I learned pretty much everything um, until mm-hmm. The Sopranos came along. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. 
And are you still in therapy now, or how long did you go to? Yeah, therapy? yeah, I go. Yeah. I, I try to go every two weeks. Yeah, that's great. And um, I, I, I'm, you know, right now I just don't, I don't feel like I need more of it because I, I think if I needed to go, like, I don't. First of all, I don't think there's a value judgment. Like, I, if mm-hmm. I needed to go every day, I'd go every day. If I mm-hmm. needed to go once a year, I'd go once a year, and once every two weeks. Right now, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of the reason for that is. You know, when I talk to when I talk to um, people I'm I'm especially close with, they they know that my this is gonna this is gonna I don't want this to sound like I'm like it's self-aggrandizing or whatever, but like my my the level and speed of self-analysis I have is mm-hmm. is is quick and, mm, and sure. I write yeah, I can see right that. I like mm-hmm. I write every day I read every day I meditate. Mm-hmm. Like, I maintain space for therapy in a lot of different forms a lot of the right. time because I know that I need it. And sure. so I think if I didn't do that as much, I would probably need to go to therapy more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as I said to my therapist, like, the reason I go to her, um, you know, because she's like, it sounds like you have a lot of this stuff figured out, but, like, I, I find I find the process of, of talking sure, to yeah. be important important and I also find it important because like the more I talk the more I can hold myself accountable Mm. the more I can catch myself in a lie you know Mm -hmm. by lying to myself right by talking to myself yeah and yeah yeah. so I I go and it's important yeah yeah no that's great I think um I think everyone would benefit from therapy for sure a good therapist um but I don't I don't know if everyone feels that way it certainly takes it takes to your point it takes a level of self-awareness, but but also a belief that it's okay to let your ego go a little bit. I mean, it has to when you're, you know, when you're opening up and being vulnerable about some of your weaknesses and fears and anxieties and all of that um, to someone else to share those. Um, right, and we have to acknowledge to some level that it's like, you know, would you never see – I mean, actually, some people would, and I understand why, but, like, for the most part, would you just never see a doctor? Would you assume that you mm. would go through life and never get a ding on you? You know, like, right. your 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 brain and the health that's related that's related to it, yeah. your heart, in a, in a figurative way, are cons- are the things that receive the most assaults every day. Totally. Every day, constant totally. things, and we never yeah. we never recalibrate it. Like you have to get your tires tires realigned every five thousand miles. Like you know, you sure. you you have to have you know essentially existential help. You have to have a specialist. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but it's no, very it's it's extraordinarily helpful to help keep the machine in order. <laughs> For sure, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. So true. Um, I had one last question, but it's kind of a non sequitur. Um, sure. So anyway, kind of shifting back to the relationship, shifting back from therapy to back to dating relationships. Um, There was this book my friend was telling me about called Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. Um, And it's not primarily about dating, but there's this section about knowing when to to commit to a partner, basically, stating that you should spend the first 37% of your search meeting people. Um, And then then after that be ready and this is about marriage and i our conversation is not about marriage and i don't want to suggest that it is um but basically committing to someone and and kind of spending that first 37 percent of your your search meeting people figuring out what it is you want um 
what do you think about that statement? What do you think about, you know, with with your current relationship that made you decide to want to invest time in this person? What was well, it about your search that led to this? Yeah, I, I don't know what it was about the search. I just I just have I've just identified that the thing that's most important to me, which I mm-hmm. identified from which I identified by way of, you know, the the how my, my marriage didn't work. Yeah. Is um I need a venue or I need a place or I need a partnership or I need whatever, a place where communication is paramount. And I need mm-hmm. a place where where obviously like that I'm attracted in a particular way so I'm attracted to, you know, or, or I'm challenged or whatever. Like I need all those things. But like like the foundation for me, no mm-hmm. matter what, is a right. place where where communication is essential and important and can be built upon. It's not right. like we come in and we, we from the get-go, communicate the best we'll ever communicate, and that's it. It's like it has to, like, constantly be – that has to be the engine. And yeah. I and I, I don't know how much of that – I'm not going to disagree with that with, with that assessment. I mean, it's an interesting assessment. I, but what I am, am going to say is, like, I learned that much less from dating, and I, I learned mm-hmm. that much more – from um, from what I didn't have before, and, and, and right. to be to, just to be clear, so it doesn't by any means sound like I'm assigning blame. That didn't happen in my marriage because my partner was not necessarily willing to do that. That's because we we were both blocked in our own ways mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, the, the only other thing I'd say is like uh, uh, you know. I could have found someone who was a great communicator the day after I was divorced. I could right, have found okay. someone a couple of years later. I just needed someone who right. I felt like was going to be a good partner in communication. Yeah. And so in your mind, what's, what's good communication? What's a good communicator? What does that mean? Um, well, I think you have to start from – you have to you really have to start from that place of, of acknowledging that, um, um, you know, your your ego sometimes works – as strongly against you as it does for you mm-hmm. and okay. and that um you know you not everything someone says or brings to your attention is gonna is gonna serve to make your ego feel better mm-hmm. and you you know you have to you have to sort of be be um I'm, I'm really speaking to the rules of yourself more than the other person. Right. But like, you have to sort of, you have to be ready and willing to understand that that's going to be the case. And, and to like not be hurtful in the way that you communicate, not to be like deliberately sort of cruel in the way that you communicate. Right. Condescending. Um, right. Con- exactly. And not to use that venue of being like an open communicator as a, as an opportunity to just say whatever you want. Like that's mm-hmm. not what open communicate. It's not like free, like we imagine free speech in the country, right? It's like, sure. like, you, you know, into, into, to feel, to feel like there's a place of like um, comfort and support to be able to say things. Like I'll often say things like I'm feeling this thing mm-hmm. and and I know that it, it doesn't dictate, like, what my ultimate behavior is going to be. And some of it's actually not fully founded yet. So I just want to say it, and I want you mm. to know that mm-hmm. it's, it's not a thing I'm necessarily fully communicating yet. I just want to, I want to work with yeah. it, right? Yeah. And, okay. and just having the freedom and opportunity to do that is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, like, and I think a, a big part of it, and the reason why – the reason why I feel like I'm particularly good at it from both like therapy and self-analysis is, is being aware enough of the things that make your communication and your, your 
receipt of communication poor. So like I just explained to I just explained to someone like the reason why um you know like sometimes they'll say something like um um uh you know I've been thinking about this thing and um I'm going to want to talk about it at some point, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm still going through the process of thinking about it. I'm not fully there yet. But when I get there, I'll want to sort of engage the subject. And I go into an anxious terror, like when yeah. I told something like that. Mm. Not in, and not because of what this person's trying to communicate to me. Like, this person is a person who I know I communicate well with. Yeah. It's because of the way that my parents, like, communicated with me. It's because of yeah. the way, you know, like, like exes and I communicated. It's the because of you know, all which are rooted in, like, feeling scared to actually communicate, you know, so like mm-hmm. we communicated around things or like when, whenever someone said something like that, it was basically them saying like, I've got something bad to say, but I'm not ready to say it right now. I'm just figuring out what it is. So mm-hmm. like trust in what the other person is saying, trust in the other person's process. That's all important. But that comes from, like I said, it comes from, you know, you know, 35 years on the planet. It comes from a divorce. It comes from um, a lot of self-analysis. It comes from therapy. It comes from it comes from like a very slow restraint of my own ego to even be able to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's that is that's powerful. No, I I can can understand that. Um, do you have any suggestions for people who are sort of struggling with that to become a better communicator? I mean, you you touched upon that, but. Any other tips that you might have to someone who's struggling with being more vulnerable, being more open? In sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 outside of like, what, I mean, the huge thing that helps me in so many different circumstances and venues and opportunities and times is just writing, like mm-hmm. writing stuff down and 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 asking yourself why a lot, a lot more than we do. You know, I. I yeah. I remember um um I remember this class I took. I don't even know if this is a real thing. It almost seems like it's a thing that the teacher made up, but the, <laughs> it was called it was called proprioceptive writing. Hmm. And and it was like you write you write down a paragraph and then in the next paragraph you explain what you meant in the last paragraph and then in the next paragraph you write you explain what you meant by the last paragraph. You essentially like eliminate yeah. any assumptions. Yeah. Or or you, or the, the a similar activity is to is to write something down and then and then ask ask of that thing why and then mm-hmm. to write down the new explanation and then do why and then go go to a point of sort of you know until you've sort of exhausted it right and and I, I think that like often the place where we break down communicating with other people is like we're limited in our ability to communicate with ourselves totally totally that's where it starts. That. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, that's powerful. I'm going to try that exercise. I think that that would be interesting. It's a good one. You'll like it. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you want to add to this great conversation? <laughs> no, I don't. I love talking <laughs> with you, so I appreciate I the too. opportunity to do it. It's, it's so much. It's it's so much fun. I, I, mean, I guess I do too. I, if I ever end up online dating again, I'll let you know so we can revisit. Um. Exactly. Exactly, yes. Your status changes so we can give an update. Now, I think yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoy our chats too. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and be sure to check us out on social media, on Instagram at Interrelate Podcasts, on Facebook and Twitter. 
and head over to our website at interrelatepodcast.com. See you next week. Thank you.